The Feeling Sound podcast is brought to you in association with Urbanista. Urbanista is an online magazine for creatives where you can reach a like-minded audience of fellow urbanistas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feeling Sound podcast. Today I'm in St Michael's in the Hamlet in Liverpool and I've come down here to this amazing venue to speak to Matt McManaman. Matt was formerly of Pinhole and the Dead 60s and he's currently in Liverpool playing a series of concerts as a solo artist. I finally managed to catch up with Matt, having had our previous plans scuppered by Covid. I can't wait to speak to Matt and to find out a little bit more about what music means to him. So Matt, we're finally meeting at last. Uh, COVID got in the way, but it's gone now. And uh, it's great to meet you. So uh, we've just been down and heard you doing a bit of a sound check for tonight's performance. What an incredible venue that is, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. I'm actually quite excited to play this one. This is a, a bit of a, a new venue that sort of popped up recently. And I actually was not aware that that church was even there, to be honest with you. And although, you know, I haven't lived in Liverpool for many years, but this kind of area was my sort of stomping grounds. And I've actually walked kind of down that road so many times and never even really took any notice that there was a church. And then now that they're finally doing gigs and putting on some uh, music and live performances, I, I noticed it was popping up. And, uh, you know, just by chance, I kind of got approached to, to come and play tonight, which I'm thrilled to do, yeah, so... Just in case anyone's wondering, the church that we're talking about is St. Michael's in the Hamlet. The sound in there is amazing. So let's pick up on that then. You, you've said that you haven't lived in Liverpool for a while. Whereabouts are you at the moment then? Uh, I live in Ireland, yeah, and uh, I kind of divide my time between the west coast of Ireland and the east coast of Ireland. Um, and basically, my, basically, my family all originally stem from the west coast of Ireland, and uh, that's where you know I've got my, I've got I'm married, like got wife and kids and all that. They live out the west coast, and then but my my my, my other side of the family, my mother and my brothers, they all live on the east coast. So I kind of like I'm, I'm always sort of like darting back and forth type thing, you know, but. Uh, but yeah, I I I left. God, I've been there, just coming on fifteen years now in Ireland full time. Yeah, so <laughs> it's been a long time. The thing about Ireland is it's it's a very musical place, isn't it? I mean, I know quite a few musicians and and people that work in the industry that seem, seem to have just just literally drifted there naturally. What is it about Ireland then that that just drew drew you there? Well, for me, like I kind of just touched on there, that's where my family originally come from. They all come from the West Coast, County Mayo, where, you know, Liverpool Irish. So for me, it was kind of almost just like going home, you know. And I was one of these kind of kids that, um, although, you know, born and bred in Liverpool, every holiday, every summer holiday, every uh, Christmas holiday, Easter, all that, every school break, we always went to Ireland. So, you know, for me, it was just kind of like going home. And I just... Uh, you know, I, I just loved the place. And, and the reason I kind of went there was when the dead 60s, when that kind of came to an end and, and the bands, you know, pack, packed it up, I just kind of, I didn't really want to hang around Liverpool anymore. I did do a, a, a kind of brief stint in London where I thought I'd go down there and make me fame and fortune where the, uh, <laughs> the, the streets are paved with gold. <laughs> but I can tell you they're not. <laughs> and, you know, I just didn't want to kind of, I just wanted to just kind of just move away and, and, and almost like start again. So the logical choice was I had connections and family ties to Ireland and I loved the place. So 
It was kind of a, a no-brainer, as they would say in, in America. <laughs> Where do you think this connection to music started then for you? Let's go right back to the early years. I mean, I was probably around 10, 11, 12, that sort of age, when I started to go, just started to get interested in music. I was interested in the guitar, even though I wasn't very good, but I, I was I was interested in picking it up and, ha- and having a go. I kind of got interested in singing as well. And I must admit, I never, ever really sort of classed myself as a singer. I never thought I would be a singer. And it got to the stage where... I just kind of had the, the the guts or the bottle, if you like, to give it a go, and I, and and I did it. Realised that I could, oh, not not too bad. I'm not like out of tune or anything. I'm not tone deaf, and it just kind of developed from there. And then as I kind of got into my early teenage years, sort of like you know from like like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, I was like, yeah, yeah, that, that's what I want to do. I want to be a musician. I want to be in a band. I want to be a singer, I want to be a front man, I want to be rock and roll, you know, <laughs> and I just, I just went for it, and, you know, I was lucky enough that being in Liverpool, it's a very sort of, we were actually, I was actually discussing this with a friend of mine uh, a couple of days ago, coming from Liverpool, if you say, oh, I want to be a musician, I want to be in a band, it's it, it's a very real thing. Nobody nobody says, oh, you can't do that. Get a real job. Get a proper job. You need to go and be a doctor or a lawyer or something. People go, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of give them the chance to do it. And if you kind of, you know, apply yourself and keep your head down and do a bit of graft, the doors open and people give you a chance and people invite you in to play and whether it's pubs, clubs, bars, whatever it might be, small little venues. And that's kind of how it started for me, you know. I, I, I knocked on a few doors, a couple of them opened, and I got my foot in, started gigging, and kind of never really looked back, to be honest. Let's talk about those early times then. You were in a band, I believe, originally called Pinhole, and um, I kind of vaguely remember them being a pill session-ish. Um, so can we talk about Pinhole? Where did that start? And, 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 and talk to me about what it was like to, to finally do something like a pill session. Yeah, well, Pinhole was kind of like, I always say it was kind of like my my high school band, if you like, you know. And I was kind of still in, still in school, starting to play music. I had a couple of my mates from literally down the road from where we are now. They were into playing, playing music, playing guitars, playing drums, that kind of thing. And we just decided to form a band and do it. And, you know, it, it was, we, we got kind of quite good quite quite quickly. I'm just kind of touching back on what I just said there previously. People gave us a chance. People said, "Yeah, come, come and play. Come and play in our place. Come and do this. Come and that in the city centre in town." And it just kind of developed from that, and we kind of got better and better. We got some gigs under our belt. You know, the confidence was coming on strong, and we were developing as musicians, even though we were still very young. And it just kind of, you know, went went from that kind of snowballed. And then, yeah, we just came to the attention of John Peel. I actually can't, I don't I, I don't know, but I definitely can't remember how he actually got to listen to our music. I don't know who sent it to him or whether he just stumbled across it or whether somebody said to him, hey, check out this band. But, you know, he heard some of our stuff, really liked it, and just invited us in to come and do a Peel session. And, you know, I was... I think I was 18 when when we did that, 18 years of age, and you're invited in to do <laughs> a Peel session, which is quite a pre- prestigious thing, you know, and it's it, it's it's kind of up, up there, you know, a lot of bands would really want to do that, 
and almost like tried to do. We did. We just didn't even try. We just fell in, fell into it by accident. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was it was a really really great experience and just you know a, a lovely kind of um, way to, to to be like invited in to do it was just yeah wow you know cool. Do you remember? Is there a standout track from that from that pinhole session that you remember? God, I can't remember all the songs that we played, but I do remember that we were you were asked as part of the kind of the um, the kind of the way the, the the format of the show. You're asked to do a cover. You got to do a cover song, and I do remember we did uh, uh, "I'm So Bored" of the of the USA by the Clash. We did that, so that was a standout one, you know, because I'm a big Clash fan, always have been, you know, since I kind of discovered them, and still I'm a big Clash fan as well, you know. So that was definitely, uh, that's the standout one that we did, yeah. And where was it? It made a veil. Made a veil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> made a veil, which was like, God, it was like, it was so, so, like, we had never experienced anything like that. We had been in studios, recording studios, but kind of like budget ones or DIY ones. And not, not that made a veil is like a, a recording studio, so to speak. It, it, it's, it, it was so kind of like high tech and so kind of, you know, like, like professional, basically. And we were like, God, these, like, you know, a couple of kids, basically, from Liverpool. They were kind of, you know, <laughs> still trying to find their feet. And we're in this, like, real plush kind of professional recording surrounding. And you get thrown in there. And it was, oh, it was just, yeah, it was, it was a really, really lovely experience. And it was one that definitely kind of helped to sort of, uh, help the learning process of being a musician and, and, and recording in a professional environment. So The Clash were obviously a big influence on you, and especially on the sound that then went on to become the, the definitive sound of the dead 60s. So talk to me about that. Yeah, because, I mean, I I had heard The Clash when I was kind of in, in my teenage years, but I always felt that I probably didn't quite get it at first. And I reckon I was just a bit too immature, or my musical taste was a bit too immature. Then as I got into my early 20s, you know, you start to think differently. You're kind of growing up, you're growing into turning into an adult, a, a man, whatever you want to call it. And I, I in my early 20s, I definitely kind of got obsessed with, with, with Joe Strummer, you know. <laughs> I was like, I used to try and sing like him. I used to want to move like him. I tried to play the guitar like him, you know. I'd watch, you know, video. I mean, obviously, but back then there was no YouTube or, you know, really any internet type thing to, to you couldn't just like type in on your phone or whatever so like I would like find like old VHS videotapes and things like that and I would like like watch all old concert uh, footage and stuff like that and just, just get into it and then obviously I bought the records bought the the uh, well it was the CDs I actually bought I didn't buy the vinyls but um, just listened to them to death and it's just something that I really loved and I loved that whole kind of punk thing but then as as you kind of get into the clash and you and and their their career developed, I loved the way that they combined like Jamaican music, like the ska, the reggae, the dub, and then that really kind of opened the door and opened up my mind to then I started to discover all that Jamaican kind of stuff, you know, and just kind of went went down that road and it just took me on this path and it was a great great kind of thing that just opened up my mind musically and, and was definitely a huge influence. 
But so tell me then the influences you're listening to. I'm guessing like King Tubby, maybe Horace Andy, people like that. Yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. And I remember my first kind of real sort of introduction into into reggae music. This might sound a little bit sort of, um, you know, there'd probably be kind of some purists who listen to this. You'll say like, oh, what? what? But, but I remember I got like this best of compilation, which was like from the Rockers era. And that was that. That was our, obviously the Clash had got me into um listening to this kind of stuff and, and, and kind of exploring that thing. And I didn't really know who who was who. I mean, you've you Bob Marley, obviously, but that was kind of, everybody knows that. And yeah, I picked up this, I've still actually got it at home, a rockers, it's called, it's called rock, uh, it's called I Am King compilation. Uh, and it's all music from the, the rockers era. And it just had all, all like, all that kind of stuff on there. And, <laughs> and then I just went from there then, you know? Give me one track then that stands out from that album that you can remember. Um, Uptown Top Ranking, Althea and Donna. That was the one that on that particular compilation, that was the first song that just popped out to me. And when I heard that, I was just like, wow. Even to this day now, if I whack it on, I often put it on in the car when I'm driving, funnily enough, and I'm just like, you know, bopping away <laughs> listening to it. You also did a Trojan compilation album, didn't you? Yeah. you got to tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was kind of came slightly out of the blue. Uh, obviously, with the dead 60s, we were kind of known for having these influences of, you know, Jamaica and, and, and the reggae and the dub and all that. And the way I remember it was, it was quite a while back now. Um, it was some somebody from Trojan basically spoke to our manager and said, "Would the would the Dead Sixties like to do a Trojan compilation?" And it, it it literally just happened like that. And then we got the call saying, "Do you want to do this thing?" We we're like, "Yeah, yes." <laughs> and he said, "What do we have to do?" And he said, "Just pick some of your favorite um, artists off of Trojan, and we'll just whack it out on a on a CD." And it was kind of as simple as that. Like, it was so easy. Do you know what I mean? It kind of came completely out of the blue. And, you know, um, it was just, yeah, just a weird one that just popped up. And we said, yeah, thank you very much. What a thing to have done, though. I mean, Trojan being who they are, what they are, what they represent to, the, to you know, to, to, to UK music. Can you give me a couple of tracks off the album? Well, I remember, because we all, each, each band member, we all kind of picked two or three or whatever it was. I remember I picked, we talked, talked about, I picked Althea and Donna uptown top ranking, you know? And then there was, um, there was a few, oh, there was Toots and the Matles, which uh, I, I think was Monkey Man we put on into, you know, classic, yeah. Um, um, a few, Lee Perry, I forget, I forget now what, what song we, we, we put on. Um, loads of bits and pieces, like I forget now the actual track listing, but, all that, all that kind. Of, I think Jackie Mitu as well. I think there was a Jackie Mitu track. Um, these, these kind of be Mad Professor, perhaps. I think was on there. You know, these kind of the the, the, the good stuff. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so you've got quite an eclectic taste in music, and anyone who anyone who knows the the, the music of the dead sixties would would know, you know, the kind of sound. And it was a very ska punk based sound, wasn't it? 
Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Head there, it was. Well, I, I, I guess I, I always considered ourselves a punk band. To be honest with you, that's kind of what I, I thought we we were, and I felt like I, I loved the whole kind of idea of punk anyway. But I touched on the Clash again. I wanted us to be like the Clash. I wanted us to sound like the Clash, and I tried my best to make it sound like that, you know? And then there was bits of Scar and stuff like that, and bands like The Specials, for example, they were a big influence as well. Um, but it, it was kind of, um, you know, like punk, punky reggae dub is kind of how I would have, have, have described the Dead 60s sound. Let's talk about the Dead 60s then, Matt. Obviously, that was a big part of your musical career, your life. Talk me through how it went then. What, what was that like to form that band and suddenly get recognised as as that band, it's especially in Liverpool? Yeah, no, it was great because, uh, you know, we, we'd mentioned there that my uh, kind of high school band, as I call it, Pinhole, we had kind of naturally come to the end of what we were doing. We were kind of, at that time, doing sort of like pop-punky stuff, kind of like American sort of pop-punky stuff, which is which is a genre that I really still love. I still like that. But we had started to kind of... We just matured because we were very young and then we started to, you know, get get older and all the rest of it. And we naturally kind of... like Again, I'm repeating myself now, but the, through the influence of The Clash... We started to discover the Jamaican stuff and that started to creep in. So we decided, listen, we've kind of taken this as far as we can. We're, we're maturing now. We don't really want to do this kind of, you know, teenage sound. So we quite naturally just uh, started going into that kind of punk, the reggae, the ska, the dub. And we just, and then that eventually then evolved into the dead 60s. We decided to, um, you know, uh, knock Pinhole on the head and out of the ashes of that. The dead, the dead 60s formed and we just had a, a bit more of a mature sound and you know lucky enough after it, it wasn't very long at all to be honest with you after a few months we were approached by Delta Sonic Records we was then bought by Sony and we, we were offered a, a record deal and we obviously said yes <laughs> 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 and he said, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we'll have a bit of that. <laughs> and we went from there, just went from strength to strength. And, you know, just kind of, we kind of, we kind of rode it till the wheels fell off, to be honest, you know. I think you're, you, you've you got an incredibly eclectic taste in music, obviously, it, it, you know, just from what we've been talking about. And I think that's how that sound came about for the dead 60s, didn't it? it so so give me some sense of the tracks then that that, that, that were involved in that time. The Dead 60s, what's a standout track for you? Is it Riot Radio? Yeah, because, yeah, like I said, like Riot Radio, that was the one that we're probably best known for. It probably, you know, it did, did the best or whatever. And I do, I, I do really like that song. I kind of preferred, I guess from a selfish point of view, from playing and singing or whatever, or, or as like a songwriter. There was a song, for example, on the, on the first album called We Get Low, which was a really kind of, you know kind of rootsy sort of reggae kind of slightly dub and I really like like that kind of stuff and we actually did a um, a dub album as well that went with the first album it was like a dub version of the first album but it was only limited edition to 500 copies and it, it's it's apparently it's it's I've, I've, I've since been told it's very sought after I've actually got I've got it on vinyl and I've got it on one CD and the only reason I found it was because a friend of mine just got it. He found it in there. It was Oxfam. 
<laughs> he, he, he found it in like the bargain bin in Oxfam for like a, a a pound or something, and he bought it for me. But it was the, it, it kind of flew out and was that hard to get. Even I didn't have a copy of it, and uh, and he got it for me. But yeah, I really really love doing the, the dub stuff. And um, it, do you know what? It's funny. Like if if we ever did anything again as the Dead Sixties, I would a hundred percent push to do some more kind of dub tracks and do something like that. I re- would really love to do that, you know? Yeah, but yeah, the, the dub stuff and the reggae stuff, I, I, I really loved, you know? We get high we get low And I was walking down in a faster street I was looking back for home We get high we get low Did you tour a lot as a dead 60s? Yeah, yeah, God, we were on the road for years, yeah. Like, I mean, once we, once it started, it was, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think the f- kind of, the, the second year of almost, the second year of being a band, that whole second year we were out on the road. We only had Christmas off when we, I think we had like a week off around Christmas and New Year, then back on the road. And we did a lot in America as well. We were always going back and forth to America because we had American management that were based in New York and they were like big hitters. I mean, they they managed um, ba- bands that actually probably you'd think, oh, well, why why does he manage the Dead Six as well? Like he had Metallica, um, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Courtney Love, Red Hot Chili Peppers, um and that, that, oh, Def Leppard was a big one, and there's others that I can't quite remember at this moment in time. It escapes me. But he had all these big, massive, huge like rock acts, basically like stadium rock, and then he took us on <laughs> this little kind of punky reggae ska band from South Liverpool, <laughs> and so. So due to that kind of connection, we we spent a lot of time in America. I mean, we used to go out there for three months at a time. We'd come back for maybe two weeks maybe do a quick sort of whistle stop tour of, of the UK or or even a bit of Europe then back out to America and then we do Europe again you know like Germany uh, France all them, them kind of France was actually a really good uh, a good country for us we did well out there um, and J- Japan as well we went to Japan three times on tour out there um, that, that that was uh, that was great yeah so we, we were we were all all around the, I've been I've been all around the world about I don't know, 10 times, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, it was just touring, 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 but, which, which I have to say, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I, I, that is actually one part that I really miss because I love travelling anyway and I love seeing new countries and new places and new cities, new towns, all the rest of it. And then to be able to, to do that whilst performing which is, you know, something that I absolutely love as well, was just, yeah, absolute dream, dream come true, you know, so... Just uh, fab times, like. Do you think music's inside you then? And like, thinking about it now, do you think it's in you? Do you think it's ingrained in you? Do you think it was always in there, but you just didn't know how to get it out and it suddenly come bursting out? Because I don't know you very well, but I know enough about you by now to know that it just there's an energy in there. There's a musical energy yeah. inside you, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, once I kind of got in the game, so to speak, I was like, yes, this is me. This is my call. It's like my vocation or something. I, I passionately, you know, love 
playing, writing songs, recording, doing music. It, 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 it's something that I just can't do uh, without, like, you know, because there was a period in my life where after the dead 60s had split up and I, I was still doing music. I never stopped doing music, but I wasn't doing it kind of professionally, if you like, and I had kind of was doing it half-hearted and that was actually probably one of the most unhappiest times of my life, you know, and it just took me a little while to kind of, you know, take stock, get my head together, whatever, and and then then come back out and do and do stuff. And uh, even even some of my closest friends and my family and all that, they say, God, you know, it is just great that you can see the change in you when I'm doing music, like full time, you know, professionally. Again, they can just see you're just a completely different person. And when you're not doing music or you're only doing it sporadically, they can see, oh, you're not you're not yourself. You're not right. You're not you know you're kind of a bit down, a bit lost if you like so yeah i think you know music is definitely it it, it, it was like a, like like i said like a calling like a vocation like, for me is there a track that that stands out as 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 something that always reminds you of that time on the road on the road um yeah well i mean i suppose it's a bit of an obvious one to say but riot radio that that always went because that one went went down so well live um you know, and it kind of got the most sort of exposure, if you like, or whatever. I mean, like, we were on top of the pops playing that, for example, so. You know, we're kind of doing something right to to be able to go on top of the pops and then I suppose Ghostface Killer as well. Again, we 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 did we did Top of the Pops with that as well. So I did. I always say that I did Top of the Pops twice, <laughs> <laughs> which means that I'm like you know a real musician. Um, and then and then another one that stands out for me, which in particular live, was a song called uh, Train to Nowhere, which was. I really liked that song, but it was never considered. It was—I wouldn't say it was a throwaway song, but it was just considered like a bit of a just a song to do. That always went down really, really well live, you know. And I—I uh, I didn't really understand why it did went down, but everybody loved that. So that definitely reminds me of being on the road because I could actually, as I'm talking to you now, I can clearly remember seeing and hearing the fans singing the words back to me and especially at some of the bigger gigs I they'd be singing the words back and I they'd overpower me I wouldn't be I couldn't hear what I was singing type thing you know so it was almost like one of these I don't know live aid stadium moments or What did that feel like? That, I've got no sense of what that would feel like. How did that feel? Uh, incredible, yeah. I mean, anyone who sort of know, knows me knows how much I love playing live, and especially when you've got like a, a packed house and you've got people there singing you, singing the words back to you, and it, it's it's like a it's like a feeling that if you could like bottle that up and sell it, oh, you'd be you know absolute multi multi not even a millionaire billionaire do you know what i mean it there's no feeling like it and it's addictive you know it, it is like a drug and i've heard other bands and other artists say that and they go yeah there's nothing better than it and you just can't touch it it's the it's the best thing in in, in the world that feeling it's just 
Yeah, absolutely incredible. Can you remember anywhere in particular that that stands out as a gig you played? What, what where would it be? Um, I mean, places like America. Obviously, obviously they they were great, but that's a bit sort of you know a standard sort of uh, sort of answer. But um, like uh, France in particular, we did really well in France for some reason. I, I, I don't I don't know why they just <laughs> they just picked up on it, and we did some pretty big gigs out there. Uh, we were actually would do bigger venues in France than we would in the UK, you know. And I remember. One gig we did the, the the Rock on Seine festival, which is a big festival in in, in Paris, and we were what well, was second to top on the on the bill uh, on the main stage, and who had it was Radiohead headlined, and we we were on we were on before them, and it was just mental. Like I I think just I don't know sixty seventy maybe even eighty thousand people type type thing. You know the. And we're we're out there doing our thing on the main stage, and you know, just looking out into a sea of people. You know, it was like it was like looking like like beans on toast. You know, so there's <laughs> so many people there. We're doing our thing, and people are singing the words, and people are you know knowing the songs and all this kind of stuff. It was just uh, that's definitely one that that sticks out in my mind. But but in in honesty, there were so many gigs. Even the small, I'm not. You know that particular one was a big gig, and I did love the big gigs. Who wouldn't like? But um, even there was good small ones that we did as well, club ones, and they they can sometimes can be, you know, the most kind of like pleasing in a way because you have to work at them ones. Doesn't you can't just rock up and you know just do your thing. You 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 have to kind of connect with the audience because they're so close to you. You can see the whites of their eyes, that kind of thing. So you have to actually work a little bit hard. And as a front man, you know, I'd have to kind of put a shift in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, some of them ones were, were, were all, all over, especially Liverpool, our hometown. You know, they were they were great because we did start out playing small little club shows, and then as as we progressed, we get up to bigger bigger venues. So it was they, they were all, always lovely ones to uh, to do and to progress up the ladder. Give me some sense of where you played in Liverpool. Where was where's someone that you always think about as being the home gig? But back in my day, it was called the the uh, the, the the L two, the Lomax two. It was, which was the the big room we used to do. Which um, when we first did that and sold it out, the first time we sold it out, it was just like wow. And I remember as a teenager going to see various bands who'd be touring there, and they used to have a little kind of club night up there as well. And 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 occasionally we'd go there, and you'd look at the stage. And there'd be a DJ on for this this club night, and I used to look at that kind of dream of being on that stage and playing. So then, when we finally did get to do that uh, and sell it out, it was just like you know, oh, it's just like a dream come true. Because we had we we, we there's a um, a smaller venue below it, and we obviously we did that first, and then as I say, it just builds up, builds up, and as we got up, stepped up to that that higher one, that was definitely kind of um, one that I was. It was almost like like our homecoming venue. Yeah, I can't speak to you about talking to you about your association with Terry Hall and the specials. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, towards the end of the Dead Sixties uh, career, we had done a gig in um, in the Hundred Club in London, you know, a famous kind of venue, and it was a, a Fred Perry sponsored thing because um, we were kind of endorsed by Fred Perry. 
where they basically gave us free clothes and we'd done a few bits and pieces for them. And uh, they'd asked us to play this gig where Terry Hall was going to be there. And um, I got the call then saying that Terry wanted to, to sing a song with us and said, you know, can you come and do something? We said, yes, we wanted to do a couple of special songs. And at this time, the specials hadn't reformed. They were still, you know, in, in, in limbo or whatever you want to call it. And it was like the first time he'd like sang any special songs in oh, many, many years, several years anyway. So that was how the connection was made. That's when we first met Terry. Then anyway, then it was shortly afterwards, the specials reformed to do, I think it was the 30th anniversary or maybe 25th, something like that, 25th, 30th anniversary. But we just kind of stayed in contact, you know, and um, the Dead Sixties sadly, you know, split up and we dissolved the band. And it kind of out of the blue then, I got a call from a guy called Steve Blackwell, who manages the specials, and he rang me up and he said, oh, uh, you know, Terry's asked me to give you a call. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. And he said, Roddy, the original uh, guitarist, he goes, basically Roddy, Roddy's left the group. We need a guitarist. Can you come and do it? And I was like, <laughs> I was like what? <laughs> it's just a wind-up. I was like, you know, what, what, what? And he said, no, no. He said, no, Terry's asked me to give you a call. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. And anyway, this was like on the Friday. And he said, can you come to London on Monday and come and meet the guys and we'll have a chat and all the rest of it? And I I said, yeah, okay. And then he said, uh, he said, um, bring your guitar. Have you got, a, can you bring your guitar? I said, yeah. And he said, we'll have a, we'll, we'll have a jam. We'll play some songs. And I said, all right. I started freaking out, to be honest with you. And I was kind of going, oh, all right, okay, so what songs do you want me to learn for this meet? And and, they just, and they were, he was very, just kind of very casually just going, oh, you know, anything, anything off the albums, you know, whatever. And I was like, I was like, no, no, please, like, what songs do you want me to learn? And they, they, he, he wouldn't tell me. So I basically then spent the weekend frantically trying to learn the specials back catalogue on guitar. Obviously, I knew them to listen to because I was a fan. I'd listen to the records. But to play them is a different thing. And I am I'm actually a rhythm guitarist. I'm not a lead guitarist, but they're asking me to come in and play lead. So I spent, like, the whole weekend frantically trying to learn the back catalogue. I think I managed to learn two, two songs that were, like, passable for me, for me to play. And I said, well, they're going to want to do Ghost Town. And they're going to want to do uh, Rudy, message to you, Rudy. So I learned them. And I was just like, God. And I must admit, I was stressed out. I felt anxious. Because I didn't want to turn up at this meeting on the Monday. They'd flown me in from Ireland to go and play with them. And I I didn't know how to play the, the songs. Nowhere near good enough. Because I thought, oh, they're not going to give me the job type thing. Anyhow, long story short I arrived in London we were to meet in, in Brad's house the drummer sadly he's not with us now he passed away and and when I arrived at his house <laughs> I knocked on his door and I rang, rang his, bell, his bell and he came, he came and he goes oh yeah man very very lovely guy welcomed me in and he goes he looked down at me he goes what have you got what's that what have you got I said my guitar he goes what are you bring your guitar for and I said, I was told I've got to play some songs. And he said, no, 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 no. He goes, you've got the job. We just wanted to meet you. <laughs> so I was like, the relief just lifted off me. Like, you know, the colour drained out of my face because I was so anxious and worried and, and, and panicked that I had to play the songs 
that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And in the end, I didn't even have to play any songs at all. And they just gave me the job there and then on the spot. <laughs> So let me get this straight then, Matt. I'm sitting in the presence of someone who replaced Roddy Radiation from the specials yeah. but didn't have to audition. Yes, yeah, that, that, that's exactly. And, and there is actually another sort of tw- twist to the tale because I must have to, I must, I must say this because I wasn't actually, this is the sto- story I got told because I, I have to admit, I was, a, I was a bit kind of baffled. I was like, what the hell are they approaching me for? Do you know what I mean? I, I felt a bit like that. But I was like, you know, say nothing, carry on, we'll run with this, we'll go with that. But apparently, it was when Roddy left. They, they initially approached Mick Jones from the Clash, which obviously we've been talking about the Clash. That's a bit of a theme, which I think would have been a brilliant addition. But Mick Jones didn't want to do it for whatever reason. Then, secondly, they approached Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene slash Paul Weller, who is currently doing the job now. He couldn't do it. He was booked up. He wasn't able to do it. He had all the commitments. And then it fell to me. So I was kind of third in line. And obviously I could do it and I jumped at it. So even though I was kind of like the third choice, I, I don't mind that at all because I tell you what's one hell of a subs bench to be on that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I didn't care if I was third choice. I was, you know, to be considered Mick Jones, Mick Jones, legend, Craddock, probably the best guitar player in, in England in my opinion. And then me, little old me. <laughs> you, can, you know, I'm definitely not in that league, but like I said, I was a great, great subs bench to be on. So, you know, I got, I got a kick at the ball anyway. What's your memories of the specials playing? What sort of songs would they be? Yeah, when I was pl- when I was playing with them, yeah, I mean they were doing all the kind of the, the classics off the first album, you know, um, and, I, I playing with them. It, it was it was absolutely a brilliant, brilliant experience, you know. Um, and we were doing kind of pretty big gigs as well. And one thing that I got to do was they were doing um, a South American tour, you know, Mexico, Chile, these kind of places. And it, they'd never been there, even in the the first time round, you know. They, so when the and apparently, apparently Mexico and Mexican people had been absolutely crying out for them to come and play there, and this was the first time they'd ever played there. We actually did two gigs in Mexico. The first one was kind of a bit of a secret show, like a club gig. But I say a, I say a club gig. It was still like three and a half thousand people, and I remember there was like, oh, there must have been, I'd say between. Two, three thousand people outside who couldn't get in. They could have easy done, but like I said, it was like this kind of like secret sort of like you know uh, club 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 gig, a <laughs> club gig like you know. And then the next next one we were doing we done a baseball stadium then in Mexico. I was just like, this is just absolutely you know out of this world, man. But the first actual ever gig that I did with them was was the Isle of Wight festival. And again, they were on the main stage. They were second to top. Red Hot Chili Peppers were headlining. So we had a really, really good good slot. And that was that gig for me. That was my first gig with them. So, which was 
I think it's about 60,000 people at that. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire. And at this stage, I I hadn't actually been on stage or performing for nearly five years. So I was a bit rusty and I was kind of like, this is do or die, this. And I remember getting on and playing with them. I remember the, the, the first song was Gangsters on the set, set list. We're doing Gangsters, you know. And the place went off. And I was just like, Obviously, I'd felt I, my confidence wasn't that that high at that time, just because I was a bit ring rusty, you know, as 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 they say. And I'll never forget that we got through, got through the gig, absolute great great success, brilliant brilliance. And um, I, it's down to the specials that they kind of I re refound my confidence to then go on to do this solo thing, this that the solo journey that I'm on now and it's funny because we talked about the clash already but the specials were, were were one of those bands that they totally influenced the dead 60s even being a band and if it wasn't for the specials they they're one of the bands that if 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 I hadn't heard them or we hadn't got into them the dead 60s wouldn't exist or wouldn't have existed and also then it's come round again they have whether they, they know it or not, I, I never said it to them. They helped me to regain my confidence to to then go on to do my solo stuff that I'm doing now. So twice they've uh, they've they've helped me out, like you know, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Come full circle, as you said. So you, tonight you're playing a gig in St Michael's in the Hamlet, beautiful little venue in in Liverpool. Tell me what the sort of sound is going to be like now, and 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 you're partnering up with uh, Vinny, aren't you as well? Yeah, Vinny, Vinny Redmond, who's a gr- great friend of mine, and we're kind of you know musical uh, partners in crime. Uh, yeah, well tonight is like an acoustic gig, so it's just uh, a, a, a two the two of us duo acoustic, acoustic, and basically just playing. Most mostly songs off uh, off Scally Folk, which is my debut <laughs> debut uh, solo album, you know. So um, yeah, like I said, it's just just a strip strip back acoustic performance, and uh, yeah, it's uh, just that's the kind of way we've been doing it recently because you know with, with the whole COVID thing and the pandemic and all that and blah blah blah, and we haven't been able to kind of get the full band together. There is a full band who. Of musicians who record, who played on the album, recorded the album, but just the way things are still a little bit kind of you know iffy, and it's hard to get a full band over from Ireland and this and that and blah blah blah. So we've decided to kind of do as many sort of acoustic gigs as possible, and tonight is one of them. So yeah. How does it feel to be playing in a in a tiny church type venue, you know, and can compare that then to the sixty thousand people in the stadium, say? 
Yeah, well, it, it's funny because I kind of touched on this earlier. So the, the, these kind of gigs, they're actually harder, the, 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 the smaller ones. But this particular one, down in Soundcheck then, it felt great. And I really, I really love the idea of playing in the church. I've never played in the church ever in my life. And I love them kind of slightly, you know, left field venues or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And it, it just makes for, for, for you know, a great, a great night. And I, I found that these sort of acoustic things that we've been doing, I find, I find that the one thing I do really like is, uh, no, touch wood now, it'll probably all <laughs> go, go, go wrong, but I find that people really like kind of shut up and listen. And I say that in a nice way though, you know, they, they, and they, they really kind of take in your music, which is um, for me as a songwriter, as an artist, as a, you know, performer, I, I, I love it when people actually, you know, Sit, sit, sit there and listen and, and take it in and absorb it and you, and you can see that. But but having said that, to play to like a, a big massive crowd that's going absolutely bonkers and shouting and screaming and all the rest of it, that's also absolutely fine. Brilliant. Listen, I've taken up so much of your time. I can't thank you enough, mate, for letting me do this. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'd, I'd love to, to speak to someone, you know, as interesting as yourself, like, you know. Well, that's very kind of you. I, I'm going to leave you to get ready for your gig now. I know you. You. You know we're only around the corner, but we've you've still got to get back there and perform. And I'm going to wish you all the very best for it. And I can't wait to see the full band when you come over next time. Thank you very much. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And yeah, there, there is. It's it's in pro, it's a work in progress to get the whole full, the full shebang, the full band over, which will happen very soon. You've been listening to another episode of the Feeling Sound podcast with me, Mark Reeson. And that was Matt McManaman. As ever, we really appreciate you joining us. If you get a moment, do please leave us a review. And I'll see you again very soon. Yeah.